Hello everyone, this is Hashimov's Economics or Hashimov Iqtisadiyata. Hashimov's Economics is a series of conversations about economics, science, development, education, Central Asia and Uzbekistan. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, uh, today's guest is Isa Hafaler. He's a professor of economics at the University of Technology, Sydney. Before that, he worked uh, for a long time at Carnegie Mellon. His PhD is from uh, Pennsylvania State University and uh, before Penn State, he had a stint as a grad student at uh, California Institute of Technology. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I'll start right away. Uh, you are an auction theorist, you are a micro theorist, and that's why I want to talk a little bit about micro theory. And you know, I'm from Uzbekistan and this show is mainly will be watched by I think people in Uzbekistan. And we are talking about auctions a lot in, in you know, public domain. Yes. Why? Because uh, the government wants to sell its assets. And to give you a little bit of context, everything in Uzbekistan was, was owned by the government during Soviet time. So, you know, even like really trivial things like uh, coffee shops or like a wedding venues or, you know, like, you know, barbershops, everything was owned. But then government starts selling it a little bit by a little bit, still vast majority of assets is still owned by the government. And right now, like 2020, they want to start selling the government property. So my first question will be, how should we think about auction theory and auctions uh, when, when it when it comes to you know selling government property auctions are excellent tools for selling or for buying uh, because as long as you have uh, you know easy entry and uh, you don't have a very thin market in terms of whoever is going to buy these assets the markets will basically reveal the true value of this asset uh, because you don't have to basically do a lot of job on your own in terms of understanding what the value of this is. The serious buyers will do their evaluations and they will take into account what the other buyers will think about the value and then uh, they will optimally choose and then you will get the best possible value, the fair value. And there are a lot of like theoretical work and empirical work showing that if you have Basically, like, uh, I don't know, this may be too theoretical, but there are, you know, papers that show that if you want to sell an item and then uh, under, of course, some assumptions, the best possible way of selling this item would be to run a standard auction, a first price or a second price auction with, uh, with some suitably chosen reserve price. Of course, for this reserve price, uh, you would need to know something about the you know po potential values of the bidders uh, the buyers but even the effect of the reserve price is not that huge so uh, auctions are theoretically proven to be the best mechanisms to sell when you are trying to maximize the revenue and they also have similar properties if you want to maximize the social social welfare which is the efficiency what the total value generated so they are both theoretically and practically proven to be the good mechanisms to use, but of course under some assumptions. I see, but like uh, some countries, uh, even in the West, like yeah. say the UK or yeah. Switzerland, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you prob probably are familiar with some empirical work that shows, yeah. say in the UK when they were selling the, you know, communication like 5G and stuff, yeah. they were pretty successful. So I don't know, they make like $30 billion out yes. of it. And when they did it in Switzerland, they, they made like, I don't know, yes. 30 million dollars, yes. so like a thousand times the difference. Yeah. So like there is a huge difference yes. between how you design auctions. Yes. So like, uh, so what, what, what did Switzerland miss and like, what can go wrong in auctions? Uh, 
a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, the experts in this area are, the, some of the names are Paul Klamperer in the, in the Oxford, UK. Yeah. And Ken Binmore again in the UK. And in the US, like Paul Milgram and uh, Lawrence Asobel, uh, Peter Crampton. They are all theorists who actually had basically consulted to the FCC, for instance, in the US. And uh, Ken Binmore actually had done a lot of work in the Europe. And then they actually had written about what are the successes and failures in different spectrum auctions. I think their writings most were mostly about the like maybe 10, 15 years ago about the like when it wasn't 5G, it was like more like 2G. Yeah. And uh, of course, these are not simple tasks. So when you sell spectrum, this is not just like one spectrum that you sell for the whole country. So there are. Uh, these, uh, you know, the, the country is divided into regions and then in those regions you have some dense areas, some non-dense areas and there are potential entrants, there are some big firms who basically can provide to the whole country and there are some smaller firms who actually would like to just be regional and then provide this service to small regions and uh, there is, you know, the, the big players and small players have different incentives have different capabilities uh, I think the bottom line is uh, the uh, the thickness and the thinness of the market so if you do not have uh, enough players uh, enough players attracted so let's say that you are you know selling five licenses and there are only five bidders yeah. it will be a disaster but if you have like six seven who are serious that's gonna be okay that's gonna be quite good if you have even more it's gonna be better and there are also issues of course about collusion they don't have to basically, you know, provide paper trails about collusion, but they can implicitly collude. And yeah, when they, when they show, that. when they show the, yeah, basically the they, price, they, right? there are there are very nice examples. Uh, you know, I cannot give the exact details, but basically, uh, you know, there are signals to each other with the with the bidding during the auction, up, during yeah, the, yeah, during yeah, the auction. I, I because this that. this auctions typically take place a couple of days, and then there are some rules about how much you can increase. Let's say that you know sometimes. The, the rule says that uh, the, the, the bid the, size the, cannot increase. The, the bid yeah. size has to increase by at least 10 percent. And then they choose a number such that exactly when you increase 10 percent, it becomes the value of the other asset. So they kind of signal that, you know, that I, asset. The, you, you go buy that asset instead oh, of this asset okay. and leave me alone here. And, uh, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of things can go wrong. And uh, the bottom line, uh, these uh, researchers have says uh, have said is the following so if you try to take one auction format that is a that has been done very successfully in one country and try to adapt it exactly the same way in another country it's not gonna it work. may be a disaster okay, yeah. because you know there may be something you know small difference that may have a huge effect uh yeah so i think okay. for now that's so what I can like say. if if say you are designing an auction yes. or, or like a group of people are designing auctions they they think about few goals right like there's like a social welfare goal yes. then there's like um, you know revenue maximizing goal and then there is a goal that some people uh, care that may not be neither social efficient nor nor revenue maximizing like oh if we're selling government-owned company we want to keep the employee the number of employers like constant or uh -huh. like adding some additional constraints on, yes. on, on, onto the price so in that kind of world then you're kind of thinning the market naturally because you know not a lot of people want to sign up because there's so yes. many so many requirements. so what do you think of this like how do, how would you want to say 
tell to the public that you know selling an auction in a socially maximizing way will mean will translate into firing most of the people yes. like how, how, how do we have to think about it yeah it's uh it's really hard the, to the, yeah to, that's to, like the you you are when you change the objectives of course that uh, may give different results and the standard objectives are usually uh, either revenue maximizing or welfare maximizing in the in this context and i think welfare maximization and revenue maximization especially the welfare maximization here makes sense but even the revenue maximization would need to take into account some other issues like other than firing people you also would need to somehow uh, you know for instance make sure that there is no monopoly in the market so let's say that the most efficient so there is already a big player who is very efficient in uh, you know uh, providing the service so this this actually uh, then this this guy this this firm actually uh, has a lot of incentives to actually uh, buy at a very high price and overbeat the others and then you you can generate more revenue this way and also it looks like it's efficient because this uh, this firm is already established a lot of top, top, yeah, yeah. Top, towers and so on uh, but at the same time the if you if, if this uh, sector is not regulated then this firm will become the monopoly and then the customers will bear the consequences because they can basically put a very high marginal profits uh, so like some countries actually they are uh, they also have some constraints about you know uh, the uh, the uh, you know uh, um, to make sure that there is enough players so they ah. actually say that you know you At cannot you cannot buy you cannot buy more than this number of licenses and of course even for like developed countries who are trying to do this very professionally there are different ways you know you know the firms can you know uh, overcome this for instance there are some cases in which for instance they want to make sure that the after the they buy a license no other firm can buy this license later so like the resale was banned and what happened is in one year rather than buying this license some other firm actually bought the firm who bought the license according to the rules this was okay and then this this went to the courts and i don't remember the uh you know the the ultimate decision but what i'm trying to say is that this is like a very very complicated problem there may be a lot of constraints actually maybe i'm not answering your exact question about the uh, you know the issues about the the people getting fired but uh, you know lots of issues ha- have to be tackled for instance there is a recent uh, auction that has been designed and uh, implemented it's called the incentive auction so uh, in this auctions what they did is in the past they actually had sold the licenses to the tv companies but the tv companies do not these do not need this spectrum anymore because oh, okay. and then the three the, the mobile companies they needed so what they did is they actually at the same time simultaneously bought these unused spectrum from the tv from companies. the tv companies they rebundled it in an optimal way and then sold it to the uh, mobile companies. so they means you know the, the, the u.s government oh, the okay. u.s government here oh yeah. okay so and then in those actually there are lots of constraints going on and then they they basically use both auction theorists and also operations research people uh-huh. to make sure that this is all done in a optimal in a nice way so to, to define to our guests like not many of them are economists yeah and so what is a socially you know welfare maximizing thing versus revenue maximizing versus 
you know, uh, other things, like, like, yeah. non like can you like define what's socially maximizing auction? Social, social maximizing auction is simple. It's just like when you add up all the utilities of all the players. Uh, so in this the sense, like the, the whole country, the whole country basically, yeah. like uh, you can add that. So basically, you like know, consumers, yeah, yes, consumers, yeah, yeah okay. the total, total surplus. So, so and then the revenue maximizing is when the government is selling yes. the assets. Yes. And then uh, they try to maximize the money that they get. Okay. So does, so, the, so here's the question. Does revenue maximization as a goal? So like government wants to maximize the amount of money they get for the asset. Yeah. And social maximizing. Does they always are, are they always the same or do they contradict? And if they contradict, under what what circumstances? Uh, they are not always the same. Even in the very simple setup with symmetric bidders and what we call independent private yeah. values, which is that like the the values of the bidders are, are not correlated. Are not correlated yeah. and they are private. They just care about their own valuation. Even in this case, like uh, the social welfare maximizing will be requiring you to not to set in reserve price, whereas uh, the revenue maximizing will require you to set a reserve price. And the things are more complicated if you have uh, common values, which is actually the case for many of these things, which is that my value for this asset not only depends on my own valuation, but I also care about your valuation. In this case, there are actually differences between uh, like simultaneous auction formats, which is like everybody is giving their bids at the same time in a closed envelope. They are called closed uh, bid auctions versus simultaneous auction. The, I'm sorry, the sequential auctions, the dynamic auctions, which can be like ascending price or descending price, price auctions. Like, yeah. There are differences and under some assumptions, some auction formats are shown to be better than the others. But they are all like under some assumptions to make life easier. <laughs> but even like if you want to basically say something about the practical world, it's a difficult question. It's a question that, you know, uh, uh, a group of basically experts should come together and think about what is how this market is working. What are the important properties here? Uh, how these bidders will, uh, you know, uh, will behave for instance like in the standard game theory we also we always assume that the bidders are perfectly rational but sometimes they may not be that rational and uh, you know lots of issues uh, but uh, especially in developed countries like in us and europe uh, what happens is basically when they are designing the auction government is having a you know a experts working for how this will work out and the companies also hire experts who basically uh, choose determine what's the optimal strategy for them and the things are quite okay but especially when you are in a country in which you cannot be sure what's going on what can be done what what has been done under the back of the table you know yeah. whether there are issues uh, these are even more difficult so, uh, let me ask you not necessarily practical but like historical yeah. uh, question about auctions in like former soviet union yeah uh, so when Soviet Union collapsed, they started selling government property, uh, sometimes with a bad design, sometimes with a horrible design and something in between. U usually was like between bad and really terrible. <laughs> and one of the ways they sold this and, and a lot of people kind of, I mean, the public kind of bought into uh, some Russian economists and, and economists in say, Soviet Union, they called it uh, beauty pageants, meaning, yes. meaning basically the government bureaucrats sit down, they look through the bidders and say, this guy, We'll get it, mm -hmm. and for a lot of, of corruption. Yeah, it's a form of corruption, basically. Yeah. yeah, but for a lot of say public, they think that when you are uh, giving it to somebody you know and they make promises of investing ten million, or I can give you a recent example. Like in Uzbekistan, one of the refrigerator factories was sold 
to a bidder for, for a zero price, but with the kind of promise of investing, I don't know, 50 million or something. Yeah. So when, when you talk to the bureaucrats saying, why are you guys doing this? They will tell me this. They say, you know, if we sell it, like, you know, in a fair and square, they will buy it for, I don't know, X amount of money. Of course, non-zero, basically, of yeah. course. But first of all, we don't know what they're going to do with it, whether they will keep it as a refrigerator factory. Second, we don't know whether they're going to fire people. And third, we don't know how much investments yeah. they would make. So how would you, you know, yeah. tackle this? Basically, it's... Um, it, uh like why beauty are bad? Ba ba basically, uh, what what's going on here is that uh, it is the environment is that as simple as everybody is. So this is like a procurement environment. Yeah. Right? So there, there is uh, something I need to do, and then I need someone to basically do this. And then they, peep, the the bidders are differentiated between the abilities of doing so, and they are not all providing the same plan. They are all saying that I'm going to, you know, I'm, this one is saying I'm doing this and this one is saying I'm doing this and there is a difference between them. Or uh, then I think the beauty pageants are used and you are, know, if they- Are they good at all? No, at they basically- they Can you create the circumstances when they're good? They, they, it could be good if it's benevolent, like if you can make sure that they are really doing for public interest rather than their own interest, but it's impossible to check. So, no, well, theoretically though, like let, let's let's say this. Let's yeah. say let's say. Uh, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Let's say there's a beauty beauty pageant. Yes. Let's say it's like super benevolent. Like the the angel yeah. came from sky yeah. and selling it. Like let's say for the for yeah. the. What what I was thinking is that the results of the beauty pageant at best uh -huh. would be equal to the results of a good auction, at probably worse. Like what I'm thinking is that would would a benevolent person could do better than so an depends, ideal so, auction. But, but it depends. So so basically. The, what are the strategies? So the problem with the, uh, the, the an angel coming and yeah. choosing yeah. is that this angel should actually transparently tell in advance what is the selection criteria he's going to use, right? To, to the, so the agents? Uh, yes, yeah, to, okay, to, to the, the agents. agents. Okay. And if this angel yeah. also tells them that he's basically he's going to use an auction format, yeah. this b pageant will become an auction format, right? And it's so, going to generate the same outcome. But most of the time what happens is basically, you know, this, uh, uh, it's not clear what they are looking for. If it is, I think the basically uh, for, for this to be fair and efficient, yeah. working properly, things should be clearly stated in a transparent way. So if I tell that, you know, here is the criteria. So you will all come up with different, you know, projects. Some of them will say, I will give you zero dollars, but I will invest 50 million. And some of them will give you, will tell you that I'm going to give you 10 million, but I will only invest 30 million. So if you can have a clear and transparent way of ranking these, then these bidders can basically compete with each other. If they do not know what's the selection criteria, then the competition see, yeah. will be not, yeah, yeah, not yeah, tough. Yeah. So the, basically you want to make sure that there is competition. The competition will do the work. So uh, you're saying like to, to like recap, is my understanding is this, you know, like mathematically we write like limits, right? Yes. So the, the limits of the, of the beauty pageant goes to yes. the, perf the, the auction. Yes. So basically it's like, you know, like a first welfare theorem or something like that in which like, you know, the best allocation is really close like the, the if the benevolent dictator or whatever is allocating the resources not technically perfectly but yes yeah, something yeah, like that. Idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so let's talk about turkey like yeah. you're from turkey and yeah. let's talk about turkish economy what i'm saying turkey is this uh we're I'm, I'm from uzbekistan you're from turkey um 
and when Uzbekistan got independence, Turkey was the first country to actually, you know, uh, how can I say, formally uh, establish a diplomatic relationship yes. with our country, and it was like very important at the beginning. Then uh, the relationship soured for 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 a while, and now it's now they're pretty good. Um, but the idea why I'm asking about Turkey is like for our kind of elite and leadership, Turkey's economic model or like Turkish way of thinking about the economy was was like the 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 main idea for for a while for for first like six years mm -hmm. and now it's kind of coming back so like when erdogan visited uzbekistan our president said you know turkish turkish economy or like turks already kind of went through the steps and we want them to teach us those steps and yeah. and and that's why i'm saying like talking about turkish economy kind of related and relevant i guess for our listeners and um and right now as, as an observer who is not uh, in, in Turkey and in Uzbekistan, I can see the Turkish economy slowing down. Yes. Um, there are a lot of fundamental, like institutional problems. You know, political risks are going up. A lot of things are going up. But generally, are you like yeah, yeah, pessimistic or optimistic about Turkish economy in the next ten years? Not not fifty years, ten years. Ten years. It depends on what's going to happen in political sphere. Okay. I think, like, first of all, I'm not an expert in macroeconomics. Basically, like, what my rough understanding, uh, which are mainly based on basically reading and uh, also like basically trusting who are experts in this area like Daron uh, Ocemoğlu. What about Abdullah Yavaş? Abdullah Yavaş is, <laughs> yes. Daron <laughs> Ocemoğlu. And uh, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, Bilkent Bölüm Başkanı. Bilkent Bölüm Başkanı. Refet, Refet Gürkaynak. Uh -huh. And others. Is he still in the jo job? Yeah, yeah, he's, okay. in, he's a, the department head of Bilkent. Uh, so basically, uh, the AKP in the, uh, basically... AKP the is like a main Turkish the, yes, party. Uh, yeah, yeah. Justice and Development yeah. Party, AK Party. Uh, in their first and some of their second term in the, I don't know, first five, six years, they actually had uh, done quite well uh, in every aspect including in the economy and uh, actually you know Ali Babacan who is now becoming an opposition leader uh, was one of the uh, very important people one of the very very important persons uh, the people in the uh, uh, when, when this was happening and uh, when they were trying basically what happens is like again I'm not an expert yeah, but, yeah. so Turkish economy is not really producing new technology Correct. and they are basically adapting the technology and selling to you know less developed countries yeah, like ours and yeah. <laughs> uh, they ha heavily depend on the foreign investments yes okay and uh, even when there was crisis there was enough trust in the Turkish economy that the Turkish economy actually hadn't done too bad because there was still money coming from outside and staying from outside. And, but this had changed a lot with all the unfortunate injustices done by Justice and Development Party and uh, they becoming more and more autocratic. Uh, uh, autocratic. And it has been actually, the, the progress had been very negative in the last, I don't know, like almost 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. And then it is, it doesn't look like it's going to change because they don't listen. And so, uh, but, but let's talk about the first part, right? So they're saying the they got something right at the beginning. The, like yes, when, that's when, right. the, when the AKP, the, the yes. Justin Development Party came to power, they, they got something right. And, and 
if I remember, like I was a kid still, but like when you observe it, like I went to Turkey first time in my life in 2003 or four yes. or something like that. And then I went, you know, a few times. And then in 2014 or something or 13, I think I was in Istanbul. And then I, as, as again, as a foreigner, I observed how different it was. Like yes. in 2004 or three, it was completely different country than it was in 2014. And and even I could sense it. Yes. So they got something right. So what they got right, like what, what did they do that you think like? So uh, I think what they got right was to make sure that the people who are who knew what they are doing in power, like, uh, like Ali, Baba Jan, Ali Baba Can and Mehmet Şimşek and the like later Erdem Başçı is a uh, the governor of the Turkish, uh, you know, central bank, and uh, you know they didn't really produce new technology, but they actually started the trust of Turkish economy, and then the uh, you know there there is some experts, and then you know the the people produce, and then it happened, and at least like for a, for a long time, what they what they try to do is they try to keep the Turkish economy uh, alive by just. Uh, Basically, pumping money and giving the opportunities for the uh, for, no, no, not for investors. I'm talking about all the constructions that oh, they have been yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. So, like people are impressed, yeah, and by, by maybe should be impressed too. Yeah. Like all, with all the new, you know, bridges uh, the, the and, bridges yeah. and the tunnels yeah, yeah. and the buildings, and even in the small towns in Turkey now there are lots of lots of apartments. Cites, and right. and then this actually had kind of had the money moving in the economy. But it's not producing, like basically movable. I see. I see what you're saying. So you're saying then, construction is not a productive yeah, sector it's not, economy. It's not. And yeah, I mean yeah, everybody yeah, probably yeah, agrees. Yeah, like yeah, there's like yeah, zero economists yeah, who would say yeah, no, yeah. right? So productive is not a, a powerful sector of economy. And then they are pumping in yes. money into. But let me tell you a story right now. Okay. So in Uzbekistan we have a construction boom. Yes. And a lot of construction has happened by Turkish yes. construction people actually. Yeah. And you know our government is basically financing Most it. Most of them from Black Sea region. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I don't know. But like, so now we are kind of pumping money into construction, and we, I mean, Uzbekistan people or whatever, seeing it as, you know, it was a success story of Turkey. We want to repeat that, and we are trying to construct like you know all these bridges and hotels and seat like the apartment buildings yeah. and stuff. So we're gonna hit the same yeah, wall. You are gonna hit the same wall. Yes. Okay. That's for sure. That's, yeah. not, that's not a sustainable growth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You you have to like you will be trapped. So I'm not. You will I'm not get you. It will it will be better. It will help. But it like there is a like an upper limit that that can get you there. It's uh, it's not going to. And nowadays like the Turkish economy is struggling, and then the AKP's policies are, you know, just to uh, basically. Uh, Paint a already falling out yeah, yeah, wall. Yeah, wall. You know, yeah, yeah. they are basically, uh, you know, kind of playing with the numbers a little bit in terms of the inflation. Do they do they play with the numbers though? Uh, some some theories say yes, yeah. But but do you believe? Because uh, what I'm saying, like, I'm from the country that kind of cooked up inflation for like. Uh, it's not too bad, but I think it's like uh, manipulative. It's manipulative, not. It's okay. not. It's not. It's exactly. not outright lie. So if, but if, if they if they basically. Uh, give this job to a you know a neutral third party. I'm sure they will find some problems, problems with okay. the. I'm not saying they are like just making up numbers, yeah. but most probably they are changing the methodology to calculate these that didn't make sense. Okay. That, that, that now doesn't make sense. It's it's not the correct one. Okay. And then like the Turkish government is getting into like basically the central bank's main you know 
property should be that they are independent. Correct. But the Turkish Central Bank hasn't been independent for a long time. That's a big problem. Are you sure it hasn't been uh, independent though? Like so, say from 2002 or something till like 13, was it was it more independent? So it was it was like I think the, I mean, when, when Erdogan was like, there, yeah. yes, yes, and then when he left, then Murat Çetinkaya, I think. But uh, he was fired. He was, he was the first fired. Turkish he was, Central yes, Bank he was, was ever yes, fired. He was fired. So uh, that means it was like independent. Like, you see, if you not, like, so, like there is different independence. Yeah, levels, yeah, right? yeah. So <laughs> it's I'm not saying like they are just completely part of the government, but yeah. they are just struggling. I think with the government. No, but, but, but they, what, what, the struggle what, is get, getting harder and harder. What I they thought, are, what I yeah. thought though, when they were independent, sorry to, to interrupt you again, is that if you fire somebody, that actually reveals that that institution was independent. Like you see, like if if. So you can't buy two things simultaneously. Like yes. If you believe that the central bank is, was a part of the government, then it has to follow whatever the government was telling. And the fact that they fired means that they weren't fully kind of complying. That that kind of shows something. I, 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 uh, like logically thinking. Like I'm not, I'm not inside the. I, I'm not very familiar with the inside baseball of like how the central bank in Turkey works. But yeah. as an observer, I was like, oh, the guy was fired. Probably that means. So, but they how were about not, how about this theory? Yeah. So, this guy wants to implement A yeah. and the government wants him to implement B and he's okay with implementing B and he continues implementing B. Uh -huh. But he says C is crazy, but yeah. the government says implement C and then uh -huh. he says I cannot implement C and then he's fired. Correct. So, Still so, then independence, so right? No, there is independence, yeah. but there is a like, big influence. So I'm not yeah, saying yeah, okay. they are like just like puppets, but they are yeah, yeah, under yeah. big pressure. So I want to ask you about your you know, research. The, the, the thing I find uh, quite interesting was that the sheer amount of topics you kind of d dig in with your with your instruments, basically. So I, I think of theorists, and, okay. and, and forgive me for, for, for that assumption, is that um, they have a very good uh, you know toolkit, and then they try to solve problems yes. here and there. Like you know, I think Duflo had a paper on like economists as a as a some some like engineer or something like that. There was Roth has this. Really? Al Roth had this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. So and and, and you are basically trying to, to, to look through to look through many aspects of human life. And one part that kind of struck me was like you briefly discussed this, you know, quotas and affirmative action, for example. Yes. So what's your general view of affirmative action? Was it a mistake or no? Affirmative action? Yes. It's, a, it's not a mistake. It's, it's a mistake. just a, basically affirmative action is uh, defined as, you know, uh, for type of people. It can be gender, it can be race, it can be ethnicity, you know, uh, religion, uh, whatever, yeah. Status, uh, religion. There are people, unfortunately, who were discriminated in the past, and we basically should give them now more chances to basically, you know, uh, to make it fair. Correct. And the affirmative action, uh, of course, this is like a like a debatable subject. Yeah. Some people say that you know, uh, why you know, isn't this like a discrimination against now who like you know are disadvantaged because yeah. of these policies? And I hear what they say, but I think the. Uh, Due to historical discrimination, the, we need to make sure that you know the, the underrepresented groups should be given more priority uh, in schools, in labor markets, in everywhere. So I think affirmative action policies are good policies. So um, do you know this paper by Mullah Nathan and his co-authors? That they send out resumes yes. of black people and white yeah. people, and basically black people uh, don't get a lot of callbacks, right? right? Yes, you know this paper. And some people, like in the blogosphere or whatever, they argue that this is mainly because of statistical discrimination yes. and affirmative action. So basically, if you're holding constant the degree, like, you know, 
a black guy has a Harvard degree and a white guy has a Harvard degree. And then they're like, oh, because he was from specific background, he's not as successful or she's not as successful. So like, what do you think of that? Like that kind of, you know, hurts people whom it should help basically. Like, but consider the alternative in which these guys won't even have Harvard PhD, uh, Harvard in their CV, but they only have like Penn State in their CV. Then what will happen is that, you know, do you think the, the labor market will uh, respond in a way saying that, you know, this Harvard uh, white person is, uh, you know, I is see. worse? So I, I think like, there will be always, there will be always, so I'm not saying, I'm not saying like uh, the, uh, the reason for less callback for the same CV yeah. of a African-American black name is due to just the fact that they are like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the white supremacists who hate, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. black people. The, it may be like some kind of uh, things like that could be in their minds, uh, but this doesn't justify that, you know, they, what you they are doing is, yeah. So ba right? basically, uh, you know, the, uh, what they had done is wrong and that means we need to do even more affirmative action. I don't know the, the, the market will, uh, you know, respond in a way that is making this even not effective, but, uh, you know. So let me ask you a different question then. Okay. So in Uzbekistan, they want to, for example, have a quotas on women politicians. So yes. they want to have, I don't know, 40% of the parliament to be women. Yes. And, you know, there will be like within women elections, basically. Yes. So, and a lot of women who are in, a, in you know, high government yeah. jobs and stuff, some of them, and some men, obviously, raise concerns about the other woman's fate. So right now, if you are a woman and if you are in a leadership position, everybody probably understands that you are there for your talents and abilities and hard work and all sorts of like and now imagine you know rooms full of men now will become you know half women or whatever uh or 40 percent i'm not sure what was the quota then people who would get in even without a quota will be kind of inside the quota and would people treat them seriously and how, how would those are, those are valid issues. Yeah. Uh, those are not just like issues that specific to Uzbekistan. Yeah. For instance, in India, you know, there is a, like a very rigid caste system yes. in which in the universities they have implemented these quotas for, and then for yeah. different castes. So they have this like the backwards caste, which is the lowest. And then it's basically if you are one of the, these caste members, even in medical schools, you can get into the medical school with a uh, like a quite low score. And people are complaining that basically I do not want to be treated by a doctor who is not capable and is just be has become has became ah, a doctor just because he because was from the, a backward caste. Yeah. And this is like um, uh, you know this is this is an issue. This is not this is a public debate issue. I cannot say that they are wrong or they are right. Um, you know maybe um, these. I mean, these ratios should be carefully chosen. So these ratios should not be exaggerated too much to make it so like even have, for one yeah. incapable like woman, for instance, yeah. for Uzbekistan case, be in, be in the uh, power positions. But, you know, this, you know, there are lots of ceilings and glass ceilings, I think, for minorities for in terms of, you know, uh, you know, race or ethnicity or uh, religion and also gender like woman yeah, yeah. and women should be given more opportunities how much more it's a tough question and i agree that like but giving like, too much may basically result in some unforeseen uh, other problems but uh, i i actually fully support kind of like this kind of initiative 
But uh, I don't know, like, if 40% is the right ratio. I see. So you are say, basically saying it, adding, like, epsilon more yeah. would probably matter. Not epsilon, matter, but, like, some, but, like, but, not, but, but the, the there point is, there is, is a, what is, is the epsilon? It's a concave function. So there is an optimal way I in which, like, you basically... So you are saying it's maximizable function? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's the, I think the yeah. maximization is not zero. So they should be given. That's okay. my view. Okay. So... Um, when you wrote about school choice, yeah. So what was it? Was the reason of writing about school choice? School choice, uh, yeah. So uh, and, and the basically, yeah. can, can you tell so me what, what's your contribution in the school choice? Okay. So before that, I okay. uh, let me start with a joke that I like telling. Okay. So basically, there are so many Turkish economists who have school worked choice. on matching theory <laughs> and school choice, and um, you know, one of the biggest names here uh, in that is Typhon Sönmez, and then. Uh, I actually, my first paper was a matching paper, but uh, uh, then I moved from Caltech to Penn State and started working with, with my advisor, Vijay Krishna, who is an auction theorist. I started working in auctions and mechanism design, and for a long time, I uh, wrote uh, papers about auctions and mechanism design. And then we hired my old friend, Mumin Yanmas, uh, who got his PhD from Stanford, and we got together and we started working on this matching problem, this yeah. matching with affirmative action problem. And then when I completed this paper, I uh, told my advisor that uh, I wrote a matching paper. And he told me, good, now you can renew your Turkish passport. <laughs> so okay, that, yeah. that paper, I, uh, we wrote uh, two papers with Bumin and uh, Mohammed. Uh, we were actually uh, teammates in 97 Turkish IMO team. We oh, you we went together. to IMO? Really? Yes, yeah, so what was your medal? I got bronze. Oh, yes. uh, did you solve the sixth question or third question? Could you solve any of the ninety-seven? No, 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 like you know, like there's a three questions a day, right? So the, did you, there is a third question, usually geometry, and sixth question. Yes. So, so I, I was good geometry? at I, I was good at geometry. I don't remember my scores exactly, yeah. but I was one score below a silver medal, and then. Uh, so like you got the highest bronze. Yes. <laughs> That's why yeah. I think I my mistakes. Uh, but like uh, yeah. you went only once to IMO? Yes. My friend Bumin he went four times and he got a uh, one gold and two silver and actually uh, he, he, so from this answer i have three questions that i wanted to ask yeah. but, but so first the imo question why some countries do so much better in imo than others like say iran yes is really good yes. turkey is not so good turkey has become, I mean, turkey became good but it's not, not even not. as good as like say kazakhstan for yep. example no no but russian all almost all russian uh, all ex-russian yeah. uh, you know uh, countries. But, but, but generally what, what do you think about this so this is the first question that i'll ask you uh, let, let me just start so why do you think some countries do much better in imo than others and is there anything that we can learn from the country's educational system from their imo performance so uh that's okay so the countries like big countries i don't know yeah. china yeah, and yeah. us they have you know they, a lot of resources know, good, yeah. good resources yeah. good like a big pool of students to choose from and some countries like romania yeah but it's traditionally you know, very traditionally good, very yeah, good. Yeah. And because you know, like IMO started as an Eastern European yeah, so kind of like Hungary, bash, Hungary Romanians, Romania, they are, yeah, they are yeah. excellent in math. It's all about getting smart students who love math and then giving them very good training, good training, excellent good training. And then some countries are historically they are very good at it. Turkey actually had been quite good and it has gotten better. And it may have gotten worse because like, the Turkish education system in the last five years, with everything it so actually is it went correlated down. though. Like, see, you it, it may not be because yeah. this basically this education is about this. This education is not the average education. Exactly, it's, about the tail it's elite. Of the yeah, 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 tail of the distribution. Yes. We got interested in this problem because we were reading another paper and we thought 
this paper is missing something. So basically, this is an interesting problem. So like, uh, basically, like they were published in 2013 and 2014, and they both now have like more than 160 citations, which is quite good in uh, our yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe for like for, yeah. for engineering, yeah, it's yeah. like small yeah. 160 is nothing. But for well, our case, it's well, 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 the, the second question I wanted to ask you, what actually I've written about it, yes. is uh, why Turkey has so many good economists. Yeah. And the third question would be, why Turkey have so many good theorists? But yeah. let me start with the second one. Yes. So uh, in my opinion, Turkey has so many good economists. Yes. Uh, empirically, why? Because I'm thinking for, for a country of its size, its income and general education level, Turkey punches well above its weight in economics profession. Can you mm -hmm. tell why? What, uh, what, what do you think is the secret? So again, this all boils down to a few people. There are two guys, uh, Semih Koray and Murat Sertel. Uh, so Murat Sertel, uh, I, I believe he, uh, he passed away a while ago. So he got his PhD from, uh, I believe, MIT and uh, he was a faculty in the US and then he came to Boğaziçi, Boğaziçi University, Bosphorus. And then Semih Koray was about to get his PhD in math. And then uh, Murat Sertel became one of his uh, PhD committee members. And then uh, with, uh, they became very good friends. So Semih Koray decided to switch to economics and he became an economics professor. And he was actually, for a long time, he was the main person for Turkish IMO team too. So, okay. and then Murat Sertel and Semih Koray had produced so many students. So basically these are people who are academically very nice, also personally very nice and very supportive of the students. So the, in the past, there hasn't been a lot of Turkish, Turkish undergraduate students who were able to get into the good Top programs in the university. Yeah. But like basically after Typhoon Sönmez had done very well in Rochester, Rochester wanted to have more and more Turkish students. And when Typhoon Sönmez had done so well in his area, matching theory, yeah. then more and more smart Turks said that I can do this too. And so I can be Taifun Sönmez? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. And then, uh, you know... Do you this, think Taifun Sönmez is more important than Acemoglu in Turkish? No, no. Acemoglu is like a completely different uh, level. Like a level. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Daron Acemoglu, when uh, I think he is graduate from uh, Robert College and then he went to his PhD in London Business School. When he finished his PhD... I think he PhD, went to LSE. For LSE? Yeah. No, LSE. I'm sorry. That, yes, LSE. LSE, yeah. LSE, LSE he got his yeah. PhD from LSE. Uh, like, uh, the, I think the Wikipedia entry says that like his... Uh, like PhD was good enough to produce three PhDs to to actually deserve oh, yeah, three yeah, PhDs. Yeah, yeah. I heard about and it. And then yeah. uh, so he's not coming from this system, but like for instance, Faruk Gül in um, uh, in yeah. Princeton, yeah. Mohammed Yıldız in MIT, and I can tell many yeah, other. Yeah, or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're newer. Coach, so the newer generation, yeah. but all these like older names, yeah. uh, they are like uh, influenced by Murat Sertel, and see. some of them like myself, I'm influenced by Semih Koray. Okay. And many influenced by Typhoon Sönmez. So these are like, these, this is kind of a snowball effect, but it is actually decreasing. So really? no, nowadays, micro theory is not faring well. So well, but it's there difficult. are still Turkish economists it's, it's, in it's, every department. No, you no, can there find, is, but yeah. like what I mean is there aren't new PhD candidates who are coming out from the top schools, good schools who are doing well on the market and doing theory. Most doing of them, theory, most, yes. most no, of them doing other areas like I macro, for instance. Yeah, macro macro beca yeah. has become, you know, quite good. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there aren't too many Turks who are doing econometrics for some reason. Yeah, but uh, they do I.O. a lot, yes, labor, yes, yes. you know, micro labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked about stuff uh, in terms of school choice a little yes. bit. <laughs> now, um, you have this paper with Abdullah Yavash and uh, one more co-author, I think, about auctions and negotiated yes. sale. Yeah. We talked how auctions are really good, yes. but in that paper you basically say 
you know, the, the, those two things like negotiated sale yes. and auctions can, can can be comparable. Like, can yes. you tell us a little bit about it? So, uh, the in the U.S., yeah. most of the property sales are via negotiated, negotiated sale. sale. So, yeah. like posted price, and then you come up with an right. offer, and then it's accepted, or they just wait for another offer. Except for foreclosure properties. Whereas in, for instance, Australia, where I'm, where I am now, uh, most of the uh, regular house sales are uh, auctions. Wow, it's yeah. a heaven for for auction yeah. list. <laughs> and in uh, Singapore, interestingly, actually, they both appear uh, quite commonly. So uh, honestly, basically, uh, Abdulloja and uh, his students had this paper uh, that are looking at the data. Uh, for different periods, like in terms of the seasons and whether the economy is doing good or not, and then the, this, the posted prices, and then they uh, kind of wanted me to basically write a model about it. And in, in that model, basically, what I look at is basically the observed prices, okay? And then I, uh, the, because the expected revenue is not the same as the observed prices, because sometimes the, the you know, the house is not sold and then yeah. the, there, the, there can be differences so basically like in terms of expected revenue in the model that I consider auction is supposed to be always better than negotiated sale but in terms of observed prices sometimes negotiated sale may be better of course in the real world auctions and negotiated sale have different uh, properties that is not captured in the model like for instance for auctions you need to make sure that everybody shows up at the same time. Yeah, as for yeah, negotiated yeah. sale, maybe you can get a like a lower, larger audience. And but do you think uh, auctions are better in terms of like dealing with uh, discrimination and all sorts of other bad things? Like you know, in negotiated sale, something might be personal. You know, like yeah. I'm selling a house and they are, hey, this guy's from my high school. So auctions, auctions actually have like in, in in the real world, there is actually like some called the auction fever. They actually maybe. Like get it? carried away oh, with okay. extra, so they maybe like if you give them some time and you know take a day about you know yeah. how much money you will offer to this house, maybe they will not offer that much. But at the auction time, they say, okay, I will give you fifty, I will give fifty thousand dollar more. It's not a big deal. Wow. Yeah. So, so what do you think of behavioral economics in this? Behavioral sense? economics, I think, is a very important area. I do not personally work in behavioral economics, but it's I think. Like as a theorist, uh, the, what do you think? Like, can you incorporate like some behavioral insights that experiments? Yes, the people do. I have not worked on papers except for one paper. I had this like loss aversion and risk aversion, but they are actually seen to be more like rational agents having different utility functions rather than behavioral agents. Oh, I see. And there are different behavioral theories. Some of them are quite close to like the standard rational, economics, yeah, yeah, yeah. and some of them are quite close to like psychology. And uh, behavioral economists are doing, I think, very, uh, they fare very well on the market right now. And I think for a right reason, it's an important topic. Uh, I think the more and more people will be doing this because basically like homo economicus uh, is obsolete. It's, it's, it's a good beginning Prediction, point. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's important still. It's not obsolete, but yeah. it is not enough. So let me, let me kind of push back a little bit on this. Um, you know, we all know that Earth is round, right? Yes. But when you are building that building, and yeah. if you're an engineer, you assume that Earth is flat. Yeah. You know, like, yes. for sake of building it, it's pretty good approximation of the reality yes. that Earth is flat. So you built yeah. your building as if Earth is flat. That's right. So I think about economic theory in this way, too. Like, sure, people are pretty rational. 
in, in yes. many, many ways. But in, in terms of like, say, designing auctions or, yes. or, 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 or stuff like that, the approximation that we do, that we call the yes. home economics, is, is pretty good. Like, yeah. what, what do you think? Yeah, I, do you, I think it's agree? A, so I, a long time ago, I attended this uh, uh, conference in NYU in which uh, Ken Arrow uh, uh, was there. And yeah. then he actually gave an example of a, uh, like uh, an, a plane flying. Uh -huh. So basically, he said that like for a plane to fly, aerodynamics is good enough. You don't need to know about the details of all the you know, electronic systems in the plane to, you know, have a good understanding of where he will, where, where the plane will fly. And then it's, uh, he tried to somehow say that, like, sometimes, you know, the, uh, basically, the, he, wa he was referring, like, the basic economic theory for the uh, aerodynamics and the uh, other rest of the stuff is, like, the details. So oh, similar to yeah, what yeah. you were saying. Okay. Um, there are cases in which economic theory is quite successful and maybe we don't need to worry about, but especially about individual decision making. Like for instance, like retirement people, how much they yeah, retire yeah, or yeah. how much how they exercise, saving? how much yeah, yeah the, how much money they put into a retirement yeah, account yeah. or how much they exercise or how do they deal with addiction. Obviously I'm not home economics, look yeah. at my belly. Yeah, right? so <laughs> they, 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 they are really, uh, psychology is quite important. Okay, yeah. so, um, so what's the value of theory then? in the modern world, like economic theory, do you think? Uh, it's very important. It's very Everybody important? Everybody should know. Oh, so they should, they should so, build so, something on top of it. But so what do you think is the most important contribution of economic theorists to human well-being <laughs> in last, say, 50 years? Mathematicians have kind of laid the foundations for like the whole natural sciences, right? So you yeah, have for to the whole do, world. Yeah. So basically, like, I think it's going to be not fair if you just say that you know uh, so I can tell you examples like for yeah. instance the area that I work on market design in which the you know billions of uh, spectrum licenses have been uh, sold uh, sold yeah. and then like uh, online auctions are everywhere and then uh, like Google is yes, yes 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 yeah. and then uh, you know the matching theory the school choice programs are helping kids or uh, another question that you know Typhoon has works on the organ exchange the kidney exchange liver exchange let me ask you a question uh, about uh, Indian food. Okay. Is Indian food better in Australia or in the U.S.? <laughs> uh, I think in the U.S. Why? What's your theory? I, I, but except I, I, I was not able to go to uh, like the Indian uh, dance neighborhood in Australia. Apparently, their Indian food is good. But if you go to a random place in Australia, it's uh, not as good as it's random not, place. It's not good. Okay. But, so, but I like. Japanese food, Thai food, Korean food, Chinese food, uh, you know, all uh, Eastern countries' foods, they are much better in Australia than, than in the US. So, General, what's your theory about food? Why some foods are replicable? Like, say, I think the Turkish food is not very replicable. So, the average Turkish restaurant yeah. in America is pretty bad. What, yeah, what do you think? Because uh, the Turks do not process their food a lot. So they need good, so the, quality, good quality of freshness good quality, of ingredients. Good quality yeah. of meat because we don't add curry, we don't add yeah, a lot of spices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have like a good Kebab, quality meat, yeah. you just grill it and it's good. Yeah, 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 and you don't always have it here. So it's like the quality of ingredients yeah. is uh, very important in some yes. cuisines than others. Yes. Like okay. it's a, the Turkish cuisine, I, I think is closer to, for very weird reasons, Japanese cuisine. In the sense that Japanese cuisine and Turkish cuisine is simple. They don't mix up a lot of stuff. Yeah, like you maybe. just have like a very thin pizza dough, and then you just add some ground beef, and then you make this cream. Right? Yeah. So it's it's not. What about the uh, hunkarbi inda? 
Hünkar beğendiğiniz komplikatlısı, sevdiş detaykan, cook well. So, me too. Yeah. But why is it so bad in restaurants, even in Turkey? I think it's a kind of like a home food. It's like you need to make sure that I, like, I think like you you use like a a good butter in the like, like a right cheese way. Yeah, yes. And, uh, you just uh, launch yeah, the yeah, eggplant. Yeah. But, but but hear me out. I never paid money for good hunkarbin. So all the good hunkarbin I ate was either I cooked or somebody cooked. Yeah. But in Uzbekistan I ate, in Turkey I ate, yeah. in, in, in the US I ate. Never I ate good hunkarbin. What are, what are the foods that you think that are always bad like this? Do you think uh, it's because Iskander it's is always bad, almost always bad. Oh, really? Iskander, yeah. Uh, so in, in, would Turkey, you... in Turkey, like... There I mean, are, if you go to Bursa... Turkey, or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, okay. like, for instance, if you go to like a kıymalı pide, kıymalı pide is Cannot bad. be bad, right? It's bad because the etlekmek, the original yeah. Konya no, version, uh, is far superior and it's very hard no, to come wait, by. No, wait, wait, like, I'm not talking about... I'm, I'm talking about levels, right? Okay. So, if there, there are food that are usually bad, like for yeah. me, Hunkarbiyan is usually bad, right? Yeah. But are there food that are usually good in Turkish cuisine? There are usually good. Uh, like in Turkey, I think if you go to like a regular pide place, yeah. it's not going to be bad. Okay. So here is a part of the show that I ask short questions okay. and short answers. Uh, it's like they, okay. towards the end of the show. Okay. Um, so you have to choose okay. uh, Ali Babajan or uh, Shimshek? Ali Babajan. Elif Shafak or Orhan Pamuk? Elif Shafak. Do you hate both? Yeah, I have problems with both. <laughs> but, uh, no, as, as a writer. No, but basically, no. I, I like Elif Shafak's writing more than Orhan Pamuk's. Oh, I was asking about that. Yeah, I, I, but uh, the thing is that in the as last like, novel, uh, she claimed to steal from some other thing that oh, I didn't really? know. Oh, uh, I'm okay. not sure, so. Uh, but I like as, her as style. a writer. Yes, so, I like uh, her style more. What's, uh, what's your favorite Pamuk uh, title? Uh, Snow. Car? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Middle East Technical University or Bosphorus University? Bosphorus. Why? Uh, Bosphorus uh, is well, a nice, nice nicer view. Okay, nicer cool. View. Um, Caltech or MIT? MIT. Why? Yeah, that's really surprising. I was like giving you a softball. Uh, MIT, like, like there are different levels. Right? So yeah. if you look at the MIT economics department, it's yeah, better yeah. than Caltech okay. economics department. Th that's why. In terms of undergraduate education, they are both good. Caltech undergraduates are quite smart, but at the same time they are uh, quite nerdy. They, no, they are uh, what do you say? Uh, 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 kibirli. Kibirli. Okay, I get it. Yeah, in Uzbek is the same, so it's <laughs> fine. Uh, so uh, von Neumann or John Nash? Von Neumann. No question. Uh, He's a genius. Holvarian or Paul Milgram? Paul Milgram, because of my, you know, okay. the personal. But yeah. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, I really appreciate our thought. All thank right, you. thank you. Thank you for listening to Hashimov's Economics.